Lesson 4 for July 16 to 22, Justice and Mercy in the Old Testament, Part 2. Sabbath afternoon, July 16. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word again. We thank you for the opportunity of walking with you this day. And as we do, we pray that your hand will be in ours, or more likely our hand be in yours. And as we do, we pray that we may be a blessing to those we meet and that your word may be alive in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 9. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Let's read that again, Ezekiel 47, verse 9. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So, where the river flows, everything will live. A neighbourhood that had flourished in the 1950s and early 1960s had become like a war zone in the late 60s and early 1970s. The majority of the families moved away, leaving behind a trail of abandoned, run-down and burnt-out tenement houses. Businesses moved out and drugs and crime moved in, further making the neighbourhood very undesirable. In 1986, a Christian family left their comfortable home in suburbia and moved into this depressed urban community. A pastor from another city joined them. They rebuilt two burned-out buildings and made them their homes. The two families spent time in the streets, meeting with community groups and mingling with those who remained in the area. These two families were the catalyst that God used to begin a church that brought healing and transformation to this dead community. Their work and impact continues today, having made a big difference in many lives there. God has something to say about the role of His church in hopeless situations such as this. This week's lesson continues listening to the chorus of Old Testament voices that call upon God's people to reveal His character of benevolence to the world. Sunday, July 17, Alive in Christ The grace of God that brings revival to those who are dead in transgression as sin is graphically revealed in Ezekiel chapter 37. In vision, the prophet Ezekiel is transported by the Spirit to a valley full of dead, dry, and scattered bones. These bones represent the whole house of Israel. God asks, Son of man, can these bones live? In Ezekiel 37, verse 3. The answer to this question unfolds as the prophet prophesies to the bones. Question. Read Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through to 14. What was God going to do for his people? Ezekiel 37, beginning at verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. 
Then he caused me to pass by them all, around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, that you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord." The results of the message delivered to the dry bones are that, one, they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army, as we read in verse 10, and two, God will settle his people in their own land, verse 14, and three, they will know that it was God who did it. Same verse, verse 14. But being revived is not enough. God's people are revived for a mission, for a purpose. Israel was to be a light to the nations. Question. Read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Why are we made alive, spiritually recreated in Christ? Well, Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ellen White writes in Selected Messages, Book 2, pages 199 and 200. Our acceptance with God is sure only through His beloved Son, and good works are but the result of the working of His sin-pardoning love. They are no credit to us, and we have nothing according to us for our good works by which we may claim a part in the salvation of our souls. Salvation is God's free gift to the believer, given to him for Christ's sake alone. The troubled soul may find peace through faith in Christ, and his peace will be in proportion to his faith and trust. He cannot present his good works as a plea for the salvation of his soul. But are good works of 
no real value? Is the sinner who commits sin every day with impunity regarded of God with the same favour as the one who, through faith in Christ, tries to work in his integrity? The scripture answered, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In his divine arrangement, through his unmerited favour, the Lord has ordained that good works shall be rewarded. We are accepted through Christ's merit alone, and the acts of mercy, the deeds of charity which we perform, are the fruits of faith. Monday, July 18, A Flowing River Question. Read Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through to 8. What's going on with the temple that Ezekiel saw in vision? Ezekiel 47, beginning at verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate, and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And... When the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured one thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again he measured one thousand and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again he measured one thousand and brought me through, and the water came up to my waist. Again he measured one thousand, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned, there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. The temple appears to have sprung a leak. You may wonder, did a pipe break or what? In this case, the leak was a good thing. This water leaked out of the temple and was going toward the east. East of Jerusalem is the Salt Sea, also known as the Dead Sea, the lowest body of water on earth. Between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea is approximately 21 miles or 34 kilometers of largely desert country, which includes the Arabah, also known as the Depression of Jordan and the Dead Sea. That sea itself is so salty that nothing can live there. However, when the water from the temple reaches it, the dead waters of the sea are healed. This can be understood symbolically as God's church, the temple, as we read in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, reaching out and being a source of health and healing to those dead in trespasses and sin, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, 
but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Question. Read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. What is Jesus saying to us here in regard to how we are to represent him to the world? Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The Zambezi River in Zambia, Africa, starts as a shallow brook that comes from under a tree. As it flows toward Victoria Falls, it grows from a brook ankle-deep to knee-deep to waist-deep and then to a river that is deep enough to swim in. Likewise, though small at the beginning, the river from the temple increased in momentum and impact and became a river deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross, as it said in Ezekiel 47 verse 5. Your church's healing influence may start small, but it can grow until it transforms your community. As Ellen White wrote in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 171, Our work has been presented to me as, in its beginning, a small, very small, rivulet. And so to finish today, light, water, both of these are images used to talk about what God can do through us to help others. How can we become better conduits for ministering to those in need? Tuesday, July 19, The Church, A Source of Life Ezekiel 47 verse 9 reads, Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish. Where the river flows, everything will live. Ezekiel's prophecy illustrates that where the river that comes from God's church flows, there is life. Ezekiel 47.10 adds to the amazement of it all. What a strange sight that would be. The banks of a body of water, known as being without fish because nothing can live there, suddenly becomes a place where fishermen are casting their nets because many fish are caught there. The whole point is that, through the power of God, working in His people, life can exist where before there was none. Quoting from the Interpreter's Bible, page 328 in volume 6, Where God is at work, there is no hopeless situation, no group of people who are beyond redemption, no heritage from an unhappy past which need condemn us to a future delivered over to despair. End of quote. God's amazing grace does amazing things for anyone who will accept it. Here again we have the message of the gospel. God, through us, can give hope to those who are discouraged, despondent, dry and dying, both spiritually and physically. Question. Compare Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 12 with Revelation chapter 22 verses 1 and 2. 
What do these two passages tell you about the ultimate destiny of those who are healed and made alive by Jesus through his church? Well, first of all, Ezekiel 47 and verse 12. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. And Revelation chapter 22 verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Someday, God's people, including community members God has healed and made alive through the selflessness of church members, will be in the new earth, where there is another river, one flowing from the throne of God. There will be no deserts, dryness, or death there. In the meantime, while we wait for that blessed reality, God wants His churches to be places from which flow healing and abundant life to the community. He wants to work through us to revitalize and transform the deserts, depressions, and dead seas in our territories, bringing them abundant life in Jesus which is the holistic Seventh-day Adventist message in a nutshell. John 10.10 reads, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so, to finish today, the prophet Amos presents a similar picture to Ezekiel 47. Read Amos 5.24. But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. How does this picture compare with the role of your church in your community? In what tangible ways is your church a healing river there? Wednesday, July 20, Jubilee Promises The Old Testament is filled with the idea that those who have been blessed materially and spiritually will reach out to those who have not been. Question. Read Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through to 11. What is God saying to his people here and how can we apply what's said here to ourselves and to our calling before the Lord? And we're going to also look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. But first, Isaiah chapter 61, beginning at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vinedressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed." I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And Luke chapter 4 verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Isaiah 61 begins with a declaration that the Spirit of the Lord works through the Anointed One to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, and release the prisoners from darkness and despair. All of the elements of this promise have been had their fulfilment in the year of the Lord's favour, as it said. The year of the Lord's favour is a reference to the year of Jubilee, which we already saw was filled with implications for the necessity of ministering to the needs of the poor. Thus the mourners who are comforted, the grieving ones in Zion who are provided for, those who receive beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning, and those who wear a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, as it said in verse 3, are the very ones who will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. Those blessed by the messianic jubilee become transformers of society, renewing the ruined cities, as it said in verse 4. God's servants are called priests and ministers and are supported by the wealth of the surrounding nations, verses 5 and 6. The images that we find in Isaiah 61 of God's anointed one transforming the surrounding peoples through the prosperity of those who are in covenant with him apply to those who in the present day have been called to be ministers and missionaries in communities around the world. Shouldn't the same transforming influence of this prophecy be felt when we delight greatly in the Lord, rejoice in our God, and stand clothed in garments of salvation and righteousness in the midst of our community, as it said in verses 10 and 11? So, to finish today, 
Read Isaiah chapter 61 verse 9. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. What a powerful testimony to what God could do in his people. Could the same thing be said about us today? Why and why not? Thursday, July 21, The Church, a Change Agent Question. Read Micah chapter 6. What is the Lord speaking out against here? Well, Micah chapter 6, and we'll begin at verse 1, and there are 16 verses in this chapter. Micah 6. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O my mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The Lord's voice cries to the city, Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod, who has appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? And the short measure that is an abomination, shall I count pure those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? For her rich men are full of violence, her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but shall not save them. And what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil, and make sweet wine, but not drink wine. For the statutes of Omni are kept, and all the works of Ahab's house are gone. And you walk in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore you shall bear the reproach of my people." Micah joins the other Old Testament prophets who emphasize that external forms of religion that lack a humble and intentional manifestation of justice and mercy are never acceptable to a just and merciful God. So, what is the crucial message of Micah chapter 6 and verse 8? 
He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Ellen White writes in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 4, page 306, True religion is practical. To be sure, it includes the rites and ceremonies of the church. But it is not so much a matter of abstaining from food as it is of sharing food with the hungry. Practical godliness is the only kind of religion recognized at the judgment bar of God, as we read in Matthew 25. End of quote. Today, God continues to reject the apostasy of an external religion that excludes the practical godliness expressed in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Our religious forms are not an end in and of themselves. They are a means to an end, and that end is Christ, who is to be revealed in us. In the introduction to this week's lesson, we met two families who moved into a hopeless community in order to minister to their needs. The two families formed a small group in one of their living rooms with new friends from the neighbourhood. The members of this growing small group earnestly prayed that God would show them how to revive their community. They partnered with a Christian development agency and began recruiting volunteers to join them in rebuilding the run-down tenements around them. If you visited this community today, you would see a thriving new community doing so much better than before. This became a reality because a small church was intent on demonstrating Jesus' love in a practical way, which transformed their community. What this work reveals is one very practical and powerful way in which Christ was able to work through his people to reach out and minister to others. So to finish today, though God was speaking to his people as a whole in verse 8, the you was in the singular. God was talking to each one personally. How well do you, personally, reveal what the Lord says here is good? Friday, July 22. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8. How much clearer could the Lord be in regard to what he asks of his people? God has shown us what is good, and this good is the same word used again and again in Genesis chapter 1, referring to the pre-fall creation. Thus, implicitly, we are pointed back to the ideal, to what God originally had for us, and ultimately what he will restore to us after Jesus returns. The phrase translated, require of you, could also be, and perhaps more accurately translated as, seek from you. That is, what does God seek from us, his redeemed people, covered by the grace of Christ? The answer is shown in how we are to relate to others and to God. First, we are to act justly. This is so appropriate given the topic of this quarter, which is on how we can help those who are often helpless victims of injustice. Second, we are to love mercy. We live in a world that at times can be so unmerciful. 
what a powerful witness we could be were we to love mercy and show that love by revealing mercy in our lives toward others. Third, we are to walk humbly before God. If the Lord in Micah 6.4 referred them back to their deliverance from Egypt as a reason for them to be humble and faithful before Him, how much more so should that apply to us, we who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? The reality of the cross and what it costs to redeem us should always keep us humble before our God. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. 1. What other Old Testament texts can you find that talk about our obligation to the needy? 2. In Amos 5, especially verses 21 to 24, we find strong words about the religious people in the time of Amos, about God showing more interest in how others are treated than in the religious rituals that he himself instituted. What should this be saying to us about where we should have our emphasis? And three, how can we guard against the danger of getting so caught up in reaching out to people's material needs that we neglect their spiritual ones? How can we strike the right balance between the two in our desire to minister to the less fortunate and needy among us? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Baxter's Bible Studies. Due to the civil war in Sudan, Baxter had to leave his home for a long time. While away, he met some Seventh day Adventists and studied the Bible with them. He joined the Adventist church and was eager to share his new faith with his family. When he was finally able to return home, he learned to his dismay that his family wasn't interested in hearing anything about Seventh-day Adventists. "'What's wrong with the church we already go to?' Baxter's brother asked. "'Why do you have to stir everything up?' Then Baxter's nephew died. At the funeral, Baxter shared his hope that they would all see his nephew again when Jesus comes. After the funeral, the local priest confronted him. Who gave you permission to preach here? the priest demanded. Baxter responded, My permission comes from Jesus Christ who said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The priest became angrier and threatened to hit Baxter, but another man stepped between the two. We can't fight at a funeral, the man said. Let's sit down and discuss this matter carefully. After the funeral, Baxter and the priest sat under a mango tree to talk while about 200 people gathered to listen. The two men talked for several hours. The priest would state a traditional belief and Baxter would show him from the Bible what it said on the subject. Little by little, the people gathered around began to understand the differences between what they had been taught all their lives and what the Bible taught. Some were unhappy that Baxter would discredit their church, but others wanted to know more about this new faith. Baxter began visiting every home in the village. The people's culture considered it rude not to sit and listen to a visitor who came to their homes, so again and again Baxter was invited to share his faith with the villagers. Even those who didn't want to hear what he had to say would listen to him just to be polite. 
One family, afraid to offend their visitor, invited him to sit down. Then they left their own home so they wouldn't have to listen to him. But Baxter didn't give up. He kept returning until some members of the family would listen to him. After five months of study, this family was among the first to take their stand for the Bible and join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Baxter taught the new believers to give Bible studies, and soon the little group doubled to 32 members. They built a small church and school of local material, and the congregation continues to grow. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful. Faithful.